All right, if you got your Bible, turn to Second Peter. We are working our way through this uh, little uh, letter that, um, or the epistle that Peter had wrote here. Second Peter. We worked our way all the way through First Peter before. This time, Second Peter, and uh, obviously this is the Peter that was the Apostle Peter, who was um, the one uh, who walked with Jesus. And we realize uh, we see all the disciples. Of Jesus, we know Peter was kind of like the leader. He was kind of like the mouthpiece. He was the one that always had his mouth in gear before his mind was in gear. And so, uh, but he was also the first one out on the water and the first one to deny Christ. Right? He was also the first one to call someone out and the first one to have problems with himself. And so he, you know, he was—he's just one of those guys. Uh, he lived larger than life. You know, he his personality, his type was the guy you'd probably like to be around. He was fun. Uh, I'm sure he had a lot of personality. And um, but Peter was also very serious about his walk with Christ, and so um, we see this second uh, letter here. And Peter, Second Peter, we said last week was a book intended to tell us what real faith is. Like he really defines who Jesus Christ is, and he defines what true salvation is. Um, not as extensive as our study through First John. But he does go into good detail about who Jesus is, and we talked a little bit about last week about identifying. Um, and defining who Jesus Christ is. When we talk about our salvation, we can't help but to really uh, have, have, we have to have the understanding of what Jesus Christ is and who the person who says they believe in Jesus Christ, who he really is. Because a lot of people have a bad identity of, or the identity of Christ in their belief system is not what the Bible says. And so we have several uh, religions that teach different things. We have several people that really don't know a lot about Jesus Christ. But when it comes in the Bible to Jesus Christ, it's very specific about who he is. And then it's also very specific about who is saved and who's not saved. And, you know, a lot of times people go through this life and they think, well, you know, there's all sorts of types of people. And I use the illustration of the airport. There's many ways to Atlanta. You just get on one of those planes and you're going to Atlanta. Well, the problem is we're not going to Atlanta. We're talking about heaven. And there's only one way that goes to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. And so outside of that salvation, there's not three groups of people. There's only two groups. You're either saved or you're lost, right? You're either going to heaven or you're not going to heaven. You're gonna, you're, you're, you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So it's very narrow. And Peter does a great job of nailing that down. I think mostly because he knew he was about to meet Jesus again face to face. And tradition says that Peter was um, martyred. Well, we know he was martyred. Tradition says that he was literally uh, hung upside down on a crucifix because he said it wasn't worthy for him to die like Jesus, which I think that's pretty impressive for him to be able to um, say, hey, I love Jesus so much that if you're going to kill me, don't hang me like you hung Jesus on the cross. Hang me upside down because I'm not even worthy to be like him. So in life and in death, he still was witnessing for Jesus Christ. And so um, we come to the fifth verse tonight. And in this verse, the apostle Peter begins to add some things. Um, I call them some uh, you know, supplements or things to pursue in our new faith in God. Uh, let's read Second Peter 5-11, through and we're going to go back and break them down a little bit. So it says, But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly 
kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and you abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that, has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be uh, supplied to you abundantly into uh, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in verse 5, it says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your, uh, add to your faith. So here he's identifying some things that come along with our faith or things that are at our access or tools, supplements, tools. Uh, we have them, but they need to be pursued. They have to be pursued in our life because they're not just something that happened. There is something that we as Christians have to pursue these things to do what Peter says to make our election sure, to make our calling sure. And uh, in the Bible, you read some beautiful balance of truth, right? Um, you read in the Bible, every doctrine that comes through the Bible, you realize there is a balance and a unity that is un- remarkable, right? Like, like you read these uh, doctrines and you see, um, as you see here in verse 3, when it says everything you have is necessary to life and, and godliness. We talked about that last work, last week, but then this week he comes and says, but to these things, pursue these things. So you have that's what's provided, but also now he's teaching you have to pursue these things. You have to, you have to go after them. You have to um, work these things out in your salvation. You must pursue these things. And, and God gives it, but we have to live it. That's what I like saying, Right. And there is a part of Christianity where we have to pursue God and we have to work out our salvation, not so much in that we gain it, but yet that it's proof in our life that we know we have Jesus Christ. And the more we pursue these things, the more we're going to have our election and calling sure. And and so in the Bible as well, we see all sorts of balances between the two. We see the balance between divine sovereignty and, and the human will, right, or human responsibility. You get to scriptures and you hear these passages of the Bible where it's heavy emphasis on the sovereignty of God and you get to areas of call of what he calls calling and election and predestination. But also that's balanced um, by human responsibility where it tells us to repent, where it tells us to trust, where it tells us to pursue God. And, and these things are beautifully, uh, uh, beautifully balanced and in unity and, and the problem is when we get stuck on one side or the other and we become off kilter, we become out of balance. And, and a lot of times in our pursuit of knowing God and really becoming uh, in a knowledge of God that we begin to read certain commentaries or certain people and we begin to believe the commentary and the people more than we do actually the word. Because we don't want to admit that the person that we might be following or the person that we might be listening to might have something wrong. And listen, no one has it all right, right? There, there are same things that I have said 10 years ago. I look back and go, wow, I said that? <laughs> and, it's, and it's not that I don't try. It's not that I don't want to do well. It's not that I want to teach error or, or want, not want to teach the whole counsel of God. But I am human. 
And I do have a perspective and I, I do have times where something I might say or things that I might not have grown in a certain area that I may not have all the answers. And I may say something that's not right. And when it contradicts the Bible, please follow the Bible. All right. Don't follow men. But what happens a lot of times we get blinded to following men and we tag on to the sovereignty of God or we tag on to the free will of man and we go too extreme one way or the other. But Warren Wearsby used to say, blessed are the balanced, right? Blessed are the ones that stay right in the middle of the road, that take the truth that God teaches and don't over, uh, don't uh, over uh, do it on one or the other. Uh, another one, as you see in the Bible, um, is the attributes of God. You could talk about how God is just and God is uh, a God who judges. And that's that is true. You read in the Bible, you see God will judge. And God is the judge and that God will bring, uh, you know, his fire and he will bring his judgment. But if you go too far into that way, you don't properly balance with the love of God. But if you get too far into the love of God, you say God loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven and God's never going to judge anyone, which is not true. So the attributes of God are great when they are balanced. And here we're talking about these things here, what God has done for us and then as God has put it into us and we are, they are available to us, we have to pursue those things. We have to discipline ourselves to walk the walk. We have to live it out. And, uh, you know, it's like raising a child. You know, you spend 18 to 20 years, okay, 22 to 24 years. <laughs> All right. But, but you, spend a lot of t- you spend a lot of time pouring into that child how to treat others. How to, how to love God, how to worship God, how, how to be responsible in a job, how to use good manners. And by the way, some people ain't been, they're not teaching their kids manners, right? Um, you know, the way people talk, kids talk and what they do. But anyhow, you're supposed to teach them manners. You're supposed to do all these things. But yet when they leave your home and they're out of your guardianship, it's time for them to put it up, put them to work. Sometimes you meet people who know better, but yet, and they have it in them because their mom and daddy taught them better, but yet they're just not doing it. Because their mom and daddy can't come and do it for them, they have to take the responsibility to put the work what's inside of them. They have to do what's, what's, what is put inside of them. That's what Peter is saying here. God has provided these things, but you have to put them to work. You have to pursue them. Have you ever heard the phrase, waste of talent? So in sports especially in football, um, you'll see some people and they're extremely talented. They can run fast. They can jump high. They got all the tangible things you could ever imagine an athlete could need. They have everything God-given ability. But some of them uh, do not do as well because maybe they're lazy. They don't work out. They don't learn the playbook. They don't listen to the coaches. They don't go to school. They don't do those things. And a lot of people look at them and say, you know what? They could have been a professional athlete, but they're just a waste of talent. They're just a waste of talent. Like, like they had so much potential, but they just couldn't quite put it to work. The same is true with Christians. There's a lot of people who have uh, the gifts of God and a lot of people who have everything inside of them. But yet when we look to them, we say they're a waste of talent, so to speak. That God has gifted them and they have all these things in their life, but yet they haven't pursued those things. And they're not everything God wants them to be because not because God hasn't given it to them, but because they've wasted the things that God has given them. 
And so we don't get to say, God didn't give me these things. We don't get to say, well, I didn't have the blessing that someone else has, or I didn't get all of the Holy Spirit like everyone else got. We get all of the Holy Spirit, but yet then we have to give all of us to the Holy Spirit. So we have to pursue it. We have to give it. We have to do this. And so that's what Peter's talking about here. Not that we earn our salvation, but yet we are pursuing the things that supplement our salvation. And so uh, the first thing when he talks about uh, supplementing our salvation or pursuing these things, um, he gives us a list. And in these lists, he gives us several things. But one, the first couple, he, he gives us these supplements that will equip our faith. That, that will give us equipment or give us, or equip us to live our, our life of faith. In verse 5, he says, to, to diligence, uh, with all diligence, add to your faith. And then he says, in these things, as you, as you do these things, add virtue, add virtue. So add to your faith virtue. Now, the word virtue here carries the ideal of excellence. It carries the ideal of purpose. Um, it, it means that you're not satisfied with just living your life the way you want to live it or for some earthly desire. You want to live your life for God's purpose in your life. Not just to be someone who lives and dies, right? Someone says you, everyone has a birthday and then birthday and everyone has a, a, a day that they die. The date is already fixed. But what you do with the dash in between is up to you, right? And that dash in between is what we do with God's purpose in our life. And when we add virtue to our life, we say, I'm not pursuing just my own desires or the things of this world anymore. I want to be excellent in what I do in pursuing God's purpose for my life. Uh, literally, the word means like a, uh, they would use it to say like um, the excellence or the virtue of a knife. A knife is used for cutting, Right? So you have a knife to cut. That's what the cut, that's what the knife was purposed to do. Um, you have the virtue of a car. A car's virtue is for transportation, right? Uh, and the same is true for you and for me. We become a Christian for the purpose of serving God. And we ought to pursue that, which is virtue in our life every single day. That when we get up, we say, this is the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to fulfill his purpose in my life today. That I'm going to pursue that with excellence, and I'm going to strive to be virtuous in my life and to follow God's will every day of my life. I have never, ever met a Christian who, can grow, who grows in their walk with God who does not pursue God's will for their life. If you're not... Uh, if you are not uh, uh, if, if you're not committed to this and you're not pursuing this, what happens is you just wander like, a, like in and out of life. You have no purpose. You have no virtue. And Peter is telling them, if you want to live and be all that God wants you to be, be you must live virtue. You must live virtuous. You must have virtue in your life. Then he says not only virtue, but he says add to virtue knowledge, Right? And the word here carries the ideal of spiritual education. Like, we need to know what we believe. And we need to know it from God's word. And, and let me tell you, the best thing to do is get into God's word and read the Bible, right? How can you know what I'm telling you is true if you don't know the Bible? 
How can you discern between false doctrines if you don't know the Bible? And, and here it says, for us to grow, we must, we must carry the ideal of being committed to knowing the Bible. Um, you know, the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it contains truth. Now, a lot of times today you hear what people say, the Bible's outdated, right? The Bible's old. You know, get rid of the Old Testament, chop up the New Testament, right? And, and, and you know, a lot of times we go through the Bible and we cut out the parts we like, and, or and we cut out the parts we don't like, we keep the parts we like, and we kind of filter through the Bible. But no, when you come to the Bible, you read it, you get to know it, you know what it says, and it helps you live a godly life. It helps you live the life you should be living. How, how do we define marriage? Where do we find that? The world says it's one thing, but where do we get our definition as a Christian? We get it from the Bible. And when we know the Bible, we know what God says about marriage. How do we, how do, how do we get our convictions in life? As Christians, they said that a preference is something that you just prefer, but a conviction is something you'll die for, right? And as Christians, where do we get our convictions? We get them from the Word of God. And we know God's word and we know what we're willing to die for. And we know what we know is, is, is non-negotiable in our life. And so we must know God's word so we can live God's word. And, and for us as Christians, there's no uh, way that you can pursue all that God wants you to do without having a knowledge of God's word in your life. If you do not have a knowledge and understanding of God's word and what it says, then you will never fulfill God's calling and purpose in your life. You won't really know what to believe. And sadly, just like we talked about being balanced in your scripture, you'll begin to follow after men. And every man's going to let you down, right? Let me in on a secret, okay? I'll let you in on a secret. I'm going to let you down, all right? I will let you down. I might speak to a way, a way to you that you may not like. I might do something you might not like. I might, I might do something that you think is crazy, or, or, but I'm just human. I'm just a man. And, and, you know, I think back in the old days when TV first became a hit, right, all the televangelists were pretty much put on a pedestal because they thought they could never fail because they were so charismatic and they were so uh, ones that had great charisma and people would follow after them and people get to know them and usually, and usually what happened to them? They would end up falling. And in that falling, it takes a lot of people with them because a lot of people get faith in a person and not faith in God's word. That's why we must, when we read or we hear God's, someone preaching or teaching or someone comes in your life to influence you, make sure you got God's word. Make sure you say, okay, I got God's word. I have a knowledge of who he is and I'm going to stick to God's word. And as you filter all those things through God's word, it will help you live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So then he says, add to your knowledge temperance or self-control now this literally means to hold in all right i think i've i think i've already defined this before as macrothumos you know we get our english word thermos from and you know a thermos is something that's insulated it keeps either the heat in or keeps the the coolness in and uh i i never really was much into water bottles until courtney came along and uh, it's something about girls and water bottles you know and, and she has this uh, water bottle that she really likes. I can't even think of the name of it, but it's insulated, right? And, and in, inside of us, it, like, you know what? This thing, this thing doesn't work. It's, you know, it won't work. Well, the first day, filled it up with ice, put it water in it, and I took Tanner's uh, water bottle, filled it up with ice, put it, put, put it in his bag. When they came home, the next morning, I went to fix the water bottles again. I went to pour hers out, and here come water and ice out. 
And I thought, wow, 20, almost 24 hours, it still had water nice in it. And poor old Tanner's, his was hot as could be. <laughs> I was like, there's a difference. It, one was insulated and one was not insulated. That's the word. So for us as Christians, what he's saying is we got to learn how to hold in our sinful desires. Now, those manifest themselves in many different ways, right? Um, but let's go for the easy ones first, right? Our anger, right? It's easy to let your anger out. You know, it's easy to let some, when something happens for us to let our fleshly anger come out. Um, Paul gives us a little bit of, 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 in, uh, of instruction on us when he says, I keep my body under subjection. That's, that's self-control. You keep your flesh under control. And it's hard. It's hard because your flesh uh, cries out all the time, right? It, it wants to react in a fleshly way to every situation in your life. When someone offends you, there's going to be a fleshly way to do it. And there's going to be a godly way to respond to it. When you see temptation in a movie or someone else that comes in your life in a relationship, you're either going to react to it in a godly way or you're going to react to it in an ungodly way or in a fleshly way. See, self-control keeps you from doing what, anything your flesh desires. And, you know, that's one thing as a Christian that many people don't really realize. Just the advantage of being a Christian is that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we have the ability for self-control. When you look at someone who's not a Christian and say they're an alcoholic, they can't help but to take the next drink. You know why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit to give them the self-control to not take the next drink. And the same thing with a drug addict. The same thing with someone who's been in 10, 12, 15 relationships. They don't have the ability to do that. But as a Christian, we have the ability when we pursue self-control to keep our body, to keep our flesh under, under control. We don't have to do everything that comes along. We don't have to fall for every temptation. And, and for us as Christians, when we learn this, Peter is saying, now add to your knowledge, uh, temperance or self-control. Now, where do you think he learned this from? I just told you, Peter was probably the first one to speak and the last one to think, right? But not only think, but just to put it through his spiritual life. A couple days before Jesus was, actually the night before Jesus was or the day before Jesus was crucified, he was with all the other disciples. And Jesus said, one of you is going to deny me. What did Peter say? Oh, Lord, all these will deny you. But guess what? I would never deny you. And just 24 hours later, there's a little girl sees him and says, aren't you with Jesus in that uh, group? And he says, oh, no, I don't know him at all. Right. He's denying Jesus. And, and why did he come to a point where he realized that you have to add to your faith or pursue those things for self-control? Because our flesh is strong, but the spirit's stronger. And let me tell you, if you're going to live a life for God and you want to be all that God wants you to be, you're going to have to learn how to submit to self-control in your life. You can't do everything the world, of, you can't do all the world's desires and expect to live a life pleasing to God. And the Bible's clear. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in God's holiness. You have to make a choice. And when you, when you have this self-control, you hold in those desires of your flesh. You beat them into subjection. You have self-control. And we need self-control in our Christian life. And Peter says, you must add to knowledge self-control. Then he goes on to say, not only self-control, but patience. Patience means to endure in difficult circumstances. And... Um, yeah, there are some hard times that come along with being a Christian, right? There are some difficulties. There are some trials. 
There's some days of, you know, heartache and pain and suffering. It's not just smooth sailing. It's not just uh, everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be rosy. But with it, we, we have things that come along. And for us, uh, you know, we just can't say, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. And now there's no more problems here on this earth, on this earth and everything's going to be great and rosy. And I'm never going to have any troubles or trials. Peter says, you will have troubles. You will have trials, but you must let patience be your guide. You must, you must go after patience. And not only patience, but you also uh, have to have endurance, right? As you have endurance, and you have this, uh, he, he adds to endurance as well, you have this patience and endurance. So not only are you patient with the things that happen, but you have this endurance to keep on going. Uh, there's an old song, we used, to say, we, sang, we used to sing it here every once in a while, but it says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And, and you think about it, patience to allow God and to allow him to trust in him in difficult circumstances, but endurance to keep just putting one foot in front of the other. I can remember when I was a kid uh, when they had uh, cassette tapes. Remember what cassette tapes are? I saw one little meme on there that says, the, the kids today don't know the pain, and it showed a cassette tape and had a pencil through one side of it, and someone had pulled all the tape out, and you're trying to roll it all the way back up, and you put it back in your, 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 your cassette tape, you know, and you hit eject, and when you pull it out, it, all the tape comes back out again, <laughs> and it ruins your tape. Uh, with that tape, though, I remember one that uh, we had had called, and it was from Christy Lang. And, and it had a song on there called One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. You remember her singing that song? And, and sometimes for us as Christians, that's all we can do. And then sometimes as a Christian, not just one day at a time, you can do it one moment at a time, right? I mean, one step at a time, one minute at a time, uh, one hour at a time. And, and what Peter's saying here is that you must pursue God with patience, being able to endure sufferings and trials, but also to continue through and to live out those things and no turning back. And for us as Christians, there is no better option for us. There is no better option for us than to keep on serving the Lord, trusting in Him, and put one foot after the other. Peter says to have self-control. He also says to have endurance. Then he says also to have godliness, uh, to live a godly life, to live like God lived. Christ told us to be holy because I am holy, right? And for us as a Christian, you can't separate having, pursuing a, a faith in God without having godliness in your life. Um, it's that we have pursuing the things of God and living a life that's pleasing uh, to him. And for us as Christians, we can't disconnect the two. We can't live a life of sin and ungodliness and expect to have victory in our walk with the Lord. Not going to happen. But if we pursue godliness and we pursue the things of God, then we could have self-control, endurance, and all the rest. Um, one more to this group. Actually, two more to this group. He says, add to godliness brotherly kindness. And, uh, you know, brotherly kindness is where we get our word Philadelphia from, the brotherly love. And uh, I've been to Philadelphia. There's not a whole lot of brotherly love there, all right? <laughs> I drove through Philadelphia, and I also walked through Philadelphia, um, I walked two and a half miles just to get a cheesecake there from Gino's. All right. So I know uh, I, I walked through the middle part of the town and across the courts and all that stuff. There's there's not a whole lot of brotherly love there. But that's what that's what the word means. Philadelphia And as a Christian. We need to learn 
that one of the most important things for us to do as Christians is to have love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to have kindness towards them, right? To extend something that uh, to, to another brother and sister in Christ, to, to extend kindness to them, to be kind to them. And then not only kind to them, he says to add love to that as well. So kindness and love, they kind of go together. And as you develop it and you see it in your life, you begin to love people. You begin to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of a sudden, God begins to flourish in your heart. I said this before. You cannot be right with God and wrong with people. You cannot be wrong with people and right with God. It's true, too. You cannot love God and not love people. Because if you love God, he loves people. And if you're loving the things of God, who does he love? He loves people. So for us as Christians, if we're going to pursue all that God wants us to do in life, who is he, who is he going to use us to impact? People. And if we're going to impact people, we've got to love them. We've got to show kindness to them. And I love the word kindness there because it's extending kindness to someone even though they don't deserve it. Even though they didn't do something for you to give them kindness, you still offer. Kindness is always the first step. It's not a reaction. It's that you go out of your way or you do something above and beyond what someone deserves to show them kindness. And for here, you know, when we talk about it and our love and our kindness and all these things that add to, the, to these things, that's what we need in our life. That's what we need to grow. That's what equips us to, to get us uh, to, to these things. And Peter tells us, do this so we don't become spiritually blind. That some Christians act this way so much so that they, they forget or they don't even know how they are anymore. They don't know how they treat people. They, they, get, they, get, they get blind and they, get, they, they forget how they're supposed to be with God. Uh, teenagers do this as well, right? Not only do they have eye problems, they got ear problems too, right? You ask them, and this is in our house so true because Tanner has uh, his bed and a recliner in his room. And he has this recliner in his room. And when we say something like, we need somebody to take out the trash, Tanner never hears that. But if he, if he hears, hey, someone could go up to PDQ and get a milkshake. What's that, Dad? <laughs> I mean, immediately. Or dinner's ready. But it's got to be the right dinner. If it's the right dinner, he hears it right away. If it's the wrong dinner, he don't hear it. Or if you say, do you see that garbage there? They don't hear it. And the same with their eyes, right? They go in the room and say it's clean, but you look at it and you go, do you not see all this stuff all over your room? And in our house as well, we put the garbage outside by the garage and it's got to go out to the can. They'll walk by and two, three bags start stacking up. I said, do you guys not see the bags of trash when you walk outside the door? You got eye problems, right? Well, same as that's what Peter's saying with us. When we're not equipped, when we're not pursuing the things of God, we begin to get blind, we begin to get deaf. And we go through life and we go through walking with the Lord and we don't even realize that we're not fulfilling God's will for our life. And for us as Christians, sometimes it's great for us to ask the question, if I, whatever I'm doing or pursuing in this life, will it matter 100 years from now? Would it matter in eternity? So I was talking about living for that dash because what you do in that dash means what you're going to do for eternity or how you're going to be rewarded in eternity or how God's purpose in your life. And for us as Christians, just as Peter's saying here, we can't, we can't fall back in the old habits. So they said, some of you forgot what you were in God and you went back to your old habits. You went back to doing the things you used to do. Like if you were full of hatred and anger and unforgiveness and God saved you, why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to go back to that life? He's saying you got to add these things to your life and you got to pursue them so that you can overcome them and that God can help you overcome those things to equip you, to give you the things you need. And then not only that, to establish your faith. 
and, and, uh, and, and not as well. At verse 10, it says, Wherefore, brethren, give diligence and make every effort to make your calling and election sure. Calling and election here means to give you the assurance of your salvation. The word here was used as a legal contract. It means to confirm, means to establish. It means to write it in stone, per se. Today, I had to get some papers notarized. And the notary comes along and says, what's on those papers and that signature is real. That's what Peter's saying. You need to live your life and work out your faith and live by your faith and be equipped so that you establish your faith that it's sure, that it's not wavering, it's not up and it's not down and it's not back and forth. It's that you know, that you know, that you know, and it makes your election and calling sure and that you can live out God's plan and will for your life. Because if you don't, what's going to happen to us? We're going to wander through life. And sometimes we'll be in God's will and sometimes we won't be in God's will. Sometimes we're going to be like Christ and sometimes we're not going to be like Christ. But what Peter's saying here is that you must do it and you must do it to establish your faith so you're not wavering back and forth, back and forth. Matter of fact, in Psalms, it talks of a man who is wavering. And he's like, he says it's like a man on top of a high mast on a sail, sailboat that's blown back and forth, tossed to and fro. And that's the way we get sometimes as Christians. We don't have the faith and we're not living out our walk with Christ. We become miserable because we're not living out what God called us to do. And we're not living out what God calls us to do. We're not established. And why would you want to share something you're not sure of yourself, right? If you're not sure of something in your own life, why are you going to share it? Why are you wanting to do it? And there's other things. But as we pursue these things and we put them at work in our life, then we can know that we know that Christ is at work in our life. And for us to establish our faith, for us to use it that way, and for us to make sure that our election and calling is sure that we have confidence in who God is, and confidence in what he said, and confidence in our salvation, that we have that assurance. And then when we do that, Peter says it will enrich your life. In verse 11, it says, for you and your entrance, um, and, and for so entrance, uh, shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. That's the King James Version because I like the way they word it there. And the reference to that is heaven. But he's saying these things here as we go, we know that not only in this world, which is not our home, that we're living for eternity. We're living to where we're going, not to where we've been, right? We're, we're living for something that's going to be in eternity. And if Christ went there to prepare a place for us, and he's there, and we can go one day to be with him, then we ought to live every day of our life like that, in the light of that, and the perspective of that. that, that we don't live for the things that we see, we live for the things that are unseen. We live for the things that are eternal, because we have this hope that we know that there's an eternity to come, and in heaven, that all those things will be made right, and as we rule, we reign with Christ. And Peter's going on here and he's telling these things again and again and again. And he's telling us that we need to equip ourselves with these things and pursue these things so that we have this, this assurance that we can have this joy that comes in serving the Lord. Listen, if you serve the Lord out of drudgery, it's going to be miserable, right? I mean, I have met people that were straight, uh, theologically straight as a gun barrel, Right? but meaner than a junkyard dog, right? I mean, they serve Jesus, but their face surely doesn't show it. You know what I mean? And their life don't show it because they're so angry and they're so straightforward. And yet, as for us as Christians, 
We got to have that joy that comes with that. And and I've said this many times, but it's so true. We don't have to do these things. We get to do these things. We get to serve God. We get to establish our faith. We get to come to worship him. We get to serve him. And, And every day that we serve him, he gets sweeter and sweeter. And there's a joy that comes with serving the Lord that you get sweeter and sweeter as the days go by, not more bitter and more bitter. And let me tell you, when you met a saint that's lived for the Lord their whole life, there's a huge difference when it comes time for them to die than it is for those who haven't lived for the Lord their whole life. There's a sweetness that comes to a person who knows where they're going and what they've lived their life for. And man, what a testimony to leave behind. I mean, for your kids and your grandkids, right? Uh, When you get ready to die, don't you want people to say, man, he's lived for the Lord or she's lived for the Lord and she, he or she got sweeter and sweeter and he knows and she knows where she's going and it's worth it because you can see that life that was lived and the life that was lived in him and the, and the joy that there was in serving the Lord. Peter says, you got to remember that. And, And for us as Christians, as Peter encourages us over and over again, and he's doing it here. He'll do it next week some more. But in our life, what are those things that we're not pursuing that's keeping us from having the established faith and to have the joy of our faith as we walk those things out? And, and just to go through them as you read them, you know, virtue, and you read the self-control, and you read all these things that he puts in here, the perseverance and the godliness and the brotherly kindness and the love. Those things, are we pursuing after things or are we barren or unfruitful in those things? Because if we are, then we need to examine ourselves because we might be short-sighted, right? We might be blind to those things. And for us to make sure that we're pursuing these things, especially in the world that we live in, because this is a time of testing. This is a time of, of, of serving the Lord. And a lot of times we have to not see it with our own eyes, but we're going to have to see it through heavenly eyes. We're going to have to see it through eternity's eyes. And Peter knew that. Peter knew when he was writing this letter that he was marching to death. He had seen the other disciples martyred and he knew his time was short. And he was writing this to let us know to live your life for what really matters. And if you ask yourself if what you're doing is going to matter 100 years from now, because if it doesn't, then don't worry about pursuing those things. Pursue the things that are going to matter in life. And as we do that, we should get sweeter and sweeter in our faith. So let's pray tonight, and then we'll have uh, some discussion and questions here in a minute. So let's pray.